Our Bible reading this morning is taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verses 14 to 33. And I'm going to be reading from the New Revised Standard Version. Let's hear the word of God from 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 14. Therefore, my dear friends, flee from the worship of idols. I speak as to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a sharing in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not in sharing the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body. For we all partake of the one bread. Consider the people of Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifices partners in the altar? What do I imply then? That food sacrificed to idols is anything? Or that an idol is anything? No, I imply that what pagans sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be partners with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of the demons. Are we not provoking the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? All things are lawful, but not all things are beneficial. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Do not seek your own advantage, but that of the other. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. For the earth and the fullness are the Lord's. If an unbeliever invites you to a meal and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it out of consideration for the one who informs you and for the sake of conscience. I mean the other's conscience, not your own. For why should my liberty be subject to the judgment of someone else's conscience? If I participate with thankfulness, why should I be denounced because of that to which I give thanks? So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. Give no offence to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I try to please everyone in everything I do not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, so that they may be saved. We give thanks to God for his word. Thank you, Terry, for that reading. A mild-mannered man was tired of being bossed around by his wife, so he went to a psychiatrist and booked a two-hour appointment. The psychiatrist spent a lot of time with the chap and told him that he needed to build up his self-esteem and gave him a book on assertiveness. So the man on the train home read the book from cover to cover. 
But he stormed into his house and striding up to his wife, pointed a finger at his chest, and he declared, From now on, I want you to know that I am the man of this house, and my word is law. I want you to prepare for me a gourmet meal tonight, and when I'm finished eating that meal, I expect a sumptuous dessert afterwards. Then after dinner, you're going to go upstairs and draw me a bath so I can relax. And then when I'm finished with my bath, guess who's going to dress me and comb my hair? And his wife looked him slowly up and down and said, The funeral director? <laughs> that man had a lot to learn. And we all have been learning about the five slogans of the Reformation. And the fifth and final cry of the Reformers was the one we're looking at today. Sola Dio Gloria. Sola Dio Gloria. You see, the reformers were trying to reform a church that had become politically and spiritually very corrupt. The church had been led in those days by a, a self-indulgent pope called Leo X. And he was trying to build St. Peter's in Rome using the money from indulgences, which taught that you could literally buy your way to heaven or, more to the point, buy time off of purgatory, which is a, a Catholic um, idea. And that... You, that salvation was all about pilgrimages, about performing sacred works, confession and certain types of liturgy and buying yourself indulgences could get you your ticket to take you to heaven. In other words, the gospel had been lost. The gospel had been lost and the reformers were trying to bring the Christian church and, and Christian Europe back to the teachings of the Bible and he had this approach that embraced five slogans, five cries, the five solas. The first was sola scriptura, scripture alone. Then sola fide, faith alone. Then sola Christus, Christ alone. Then sola gratia, grace alone. And finally, sola dio gloria, to God's glory alone. And the first of the the first four of the solas focus on the means by which we're saved through the teachings of the Bible by faith in Christ Jesus and solely by God's grace. And the final cry is the genuine cry of all believers. It's the cry of thanksgiving that recognises that salvation is a gift, that life itself, both physical and spiritual, is a gift and has its origins in God. And therefore, he deserves all the glory. It's not because I'm good enough. It's not because I have merit and so have earned my ticket. It's not because I have contributed in any way to either my first birth or my second birth. It's because I believe solely in the Bible. And I embrace Jesus alone by faith. And through that faith, God in his grace forgives us and redeems us and makes us into new people. So I have a new purpose, a new focus, and that is to live for God alone. Sola Dio Gloria. This is the cry of a genuine believer. It's a shout of faith, the cry of thanksgiving, the song of worship that is lived by the saints. It gets to the heart of the believer's focus. And direction in their life. He asked the question, for whom do you work? 
For who do you live? And what is your main focus in life? You see, we all belong to God, whether we acknowledge this fact or not. We're not on this planet due to some random process. We are created. And as a psalm we read earlier on, Psalm 24 tells us in verse 1, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. That verse tells you that you are the Lord because you are part of creation. You're part of this world. We are created to be loved by God. But most of us on this planet have rejected God and turned our backs. The Bible speaks of this too. It's called the Great Exchange. We read about it, for example, in Romans 1, where Paul writes in verse 21, For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. You see, the great exchange is that we've turned our worship from the creator to the created. We worshipped things both created by God and created by us, rather than giving praise and glory to him. Paul continues in verse 22 of chapter 1 of Romans. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look by, like mortal man, being made and birds and animals and reptiles. In the past, literally, this kind of worship was to bow down and worship stone idols and wooden effigies that look like man, animals or other created things. But now in the 21st century, most people obviously don't worship idols like this. We're more sophisticated. So we heap our devotion upon things like hobbies and cars and houses and fashion and sports and entertainments and a million other things that absorb our time, our money and our concentration. Those things that we offer our time, our money to, we are given devotion to. We are devoted to, we give most of our time to. These things are our idols. Paul sums it up in verse 25 of Romans chapter 1, when he says, They exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshipped and served, created things, rather than the Creator. This is the great exchange. It's an exchange from sola dia gratia, the worship of God alone, to sola ego gratia, glory to me alone. Man does not recognise God as the living God, but he lives a life of self-absorption and self-devotion. The parable for man of the 21st century is that ancient poem written by Parthenius of Nasea, composed around about 50 um, BC. You're probably familiar with this particular poem or, or, or um, myth. It basically focuses on a man called Narcissus. Liliropi gave birth to a handsome boy whom she called Narcissus. And a seer told her that he would live a long life as long as he never caught sight of himself. Then one day Narcissus was getting thirsty after hunting. And when looking for somewhere to drink, he came across a pool of water. And as he stopped to drink, he caught sight of his own reflection 
and he fell in love. Narcissus didn't realise it was merely his own reflection and thought it was something else. He was someone else within the pond itself and was unable to leave the allure of his own image. And when he eventually realised that his love could never be reciprocated, he sat by the pool gazing at his reflection and melted away, turning into a gold and white flower called by that name. And so we find in the 21st century, man is in love with himself. Not sola dia gratia, but sola ego gratia. It's all a question of thankfulness. If your life is down to you, if you birthed yourself, if you are born, you born, make yourself born, and if you made yourself, you are self-created, you owe nothing to anyone. You don't owe God anything. You are saved by your own goodness. God is redundant. Jesus is redundant. And so the reformers brought Europe back to scripture and reality with the cry of sola Dio gratia. It's all about whom we thank for life, health, family or anything. Remember what Paul wrote early on in Romans chapter 1 and verse 21. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile. We live in a society that doesn't want to give thanks to God. It's all about what I'm owed, my own entitlement, my own rights. And if God didn't make you, then you've got nothing to thank him for. But the Bible tells us otherwise. The Bible tells us that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And so I'm thankful for life. I'm thankful for this time of year when I see the snowdrops punching their way through the muddy earth. When I see the doves and the pigeons cooing as they start to nest. When I hear the gradual awakening of the spring bird song, I give thanks because this is the creation God has made and I celebrate it and celebrate the God who made it. This is why Fiona and I always give thanks before we eat food. We say grace to give thanks to the God who provides for us. This is a hard thing for us to understand in this modern world as we're taught to shout more about our rights but about the glory of God. We're taught to be like Narcissus, self-absorbed, and to wear a special clothes and makeup. Well, because we are worth it. We are worth it. We live lives focused on me. In the modern world, we're encouraged to think about ourselves, to fall in love with ourselves. And the idea of thanking God for life, for employment, for our success is as alien to us as the NASA probe that's currently just landed on the planet Mars. You see, Sola Dia Gloria asks the question, where is our focus? Where is our focus? The Bible says that worshipping anything other than our creator is idolatry. The giving of our worship to the wrong object is idolatry. And while in the modern world most people don't worship idols made by stone, ivory or wood, they do spend most of their time and their money building idols that detract from the living God. So many things in our lives, if we're not careful, can become idols. 
Our hobbies can become idols, but take up all our money and interest and time. Our hobbies can become our sorry, our homes can become our idols. We fill them with expensive and wonderful things and then to work need to work hard to pay for them. Our careers can become our idols. Building our reputations, our career, our name, our fame, until others praise us and give us their respect and their devotion. Other man-made things can take pride of place in our lives. And upon them we lavish money, time and focus. This is our worship. Now none of these things are bad in themselves. Homes, hobbies, careers, sports and the like are all good. As long as they don't become our main focus and become our God. Paul writes here in verse 19. Do I mean then that food sacrificed to an idol is anything or that an idol is anything? No, he says. These objects or things are not literal gods or literal deities, but they become the focus of our efforts. And if we're devoted to them, and if we worship them, then our, with our focus and our efforts, they then become our idols. There is only, there is only the, uh, one person who's worthy of the focus of our lives, and that is our creator, God. Moses writes about this in Deuteronomy 32, where he says in verse 17, they sacrificed the false gods, which are not God. Gods they had not known, gods that had recently appeared, gods your ancestors did not fear. All these other things that consume our time and our energies are not real gods. They can't save us or fully satisfy us or give us true peace. They are temporary gods but do not last. They rust, they perish, they fade, they become passé and old-fashioned. And if we spend our lives worshipping man-made things, then we literally waste our lives. That's why Paul tells us in verse 14 of Corinthians chapter 10, Therefore, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. Don't stand around. Run away from idols as they distract you like Narcissus was distracted by his own image. They will never satisfy you but keeping you wasting your time looking into the pool of your own reflection. Martin Luther spoke of humankind as suffering from an inner obsession. He called it the that he said that we were curved in upon ourselves, curved in upon ourselves, literally bent in towards self-love. This narcissistic tendency within humankind is universal. But this kind of self-love is a bit like a, an ingrown toenail. Toenails are, are meant to grow outwards, but when they grow inwards, they eventually cause us great suffering and great pain and make walking very painful. And love too needs to be expressed outwards. It's meant to be expressed towards others. And once we begin to practice self-love, but it's inwardly focused, it begins to give us emotional pain and eventually stops us walking spiritually. So the first question this whole passage in 1 Corinthians 10 raises is where is our focus? And the last question it poses for us is this, where is our freedom? Where is our freedom? You see, we have freedom to live and to love whatever way we choose. God has given us all free will, and there, but there is a cost of exercising our freedom badly. 
And that is that we might end up enslaving ourselves or enslaving others through bad choices. This is what addiction does. It ties people down. The freedom they get from that drug or, or that experience eventually ties them down and chains them down and limits their horizons. You see, freedom needs to be expressed by learning to look upwards. Paul writes in verse 24, No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. We need to remember that freedom is the freedom to choose wisely and not simply the freedom to do whatever we like. Paul says in verse 23, I have, the, I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. We have free will, but not every choice will be beneficial or constructive for us. Do we live and use our freedom to live for self, to gaze into that pool like Narcissus? Or do we try to live for God, who is eternal? You see, what we do now will have eternal consequences. God is trying to prepare us for heaven, to teach us and to shape us as people. And if we become self-obsessed, totally self-focused, we will never be the people that God wants us to be. We are being prepared for eternity here on earth. We, need, we have a choice of whether we build temporary structures that will one day fade away or invest in eternal qualities that will one day last forever. We have freedom, but do we have wisdom? The Corinthian people to whom Paul was writing in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 pride themselves on their wisdom. So he writes in verse 15, I speak to sensible people, judge for yourselves what I say. And the word here literally in the Greek for sensible means intelligent or wise. But the thing about wisdom is this, is wisdom is demonstrated not in the mental processes, but in the action that follows that contemplation, that thinking. The wonderful thing about sola dea, Dio Gloria is it's all about choosing to live a life of thankfulness. Not a life demanding more, but a life thanking God for what he's already given. When I climb a mountain and feast my eyes upon the beautiful view at the summit, I don't pat myself on the back and say, well done, Cole, you got to the top. Rather, I look around at the wonders of the vista and I praise God for his creation. And I thank him for the wonders of the human body that enabled me to scramble up to such heights. I'm overawed and thankful by the beauty of the earth that I see in front of me. And when I eat a meal, I don't pat myself on the back and say, enjoy this, Cole. This is a result of your hard work earning the food you're about to eat. Rather, Fiona and I, we close our eyes and we thank God that we have employment, that we have money to buy food. And we have food enough to eat. I don't look inwards. I look upwards. Sola Dio Gloria. And this, in this modern world, is a habit that we've lost. And we suffer mentally as a consequence. Johann Sebastian Bach, the famous Baroque composer, used to sign off his great musical masterpieces with the letters S, D, G. 
SDG. And what Bach was doing when he signed his, left, his, his masterpieces, SDG, he was saying this. He was saying, Sola Dio Gloria. That all the glory for his work and his composition goes to God. And George Friedrich Handel also used his dedication to sign off some of his works, as did the 16th century Spanish mystic and poet, St. John of the Cross. So the writer of the Messiah didn't say, look at me, look at what a great composer I am. He said, to God be the glory. And the composer of the Brandenburg Concertos, of Decatur and Fugue in D minor, the, the, the composer of Jesus' Joy of Man's Desiring, didn't say, praise me, Bach, look at my great skill as a composer. He rather signed his works. To God be the glory. They gave thanks for their incredible gifts and praised God as the giver of these gifts. And this is the wonderful turnaround that puts a spin of thanksgiving into everything that we do. When I was a, a very young lad, my job every Sunday, uh, every Saturday night, was in fact to clean the family shoes for Sunday. They were all laid out for me on the kitchen table and I was given the polish and a cloth and a brush and my father told me this he says whatever you do Cole do it as best as you can to the glory of God and so I did I polished those shoes as best as I could not for my parents or my siblings but literally to the glory of God my father taught me a great lesson that whatever you do no matter how minor Menial, no matter how lowly, no matter how bland and plain, whatever you do, you can do to the glory of God, even cleaning shoes or cleaning the toilet. And I learned that lesson and then I left home and went to the Royal Air Force. I began to do just that. Whatever I did, I reminded myself, I, I, the, my attitude was not just simply to do it, but to do it to the glory of God, to do the best as I possibly could and to do it to God's glory. And this makes a menial job into something that's sacred. It takes something that's routine and makes it something special. This is the great exchange in reverse, looking outward and upwards. You see, life can be turned from one of constantly carping and criticising for the things that we don't have into a song and sympathy, sympathy of praise for all the good things that we've been given day by day. That fresh cup of coffee freshly ground that bird singing in the park or in your garden that ray of sun that breaks through the dark clouds those words of comfort offered by a friend that kiss of a grandchild the list is endless and so too our tasks can be done not for our boss or for our parents our teachers or our employers or even for the government these jobs, these responsibilities can be done to the glory of God. And so when we meet with success, when we're praised, awarded or recognised, likewise, we give glory to God for this, thanking God that he has given us the skill or the ability for what we have just achieved. This is exactly the message that Paul is trying to get over here 
in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. He writes in verse 31, So whatever you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. S-D-G. Sola Dio Gloria. If we learn to live by this principle, it will turn us from being people who, like Narcissus, are self-absorbed and bent in upon ourselves to self-love, to a people who are focused on God, who are focused on thanksgiving, who are focused on giving praise and glory to where it should really be given, to him alone. People, let me remind you, that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. You are the Lord. You belong to God. Give thanks to him for life. Give thanks to him for health, even if health is failing. But you've had health. But you've enjoyed life. There's many things that we enjoy and we can just give thanks to God for. And focus upon him. For whatever you do today or tomorrow, this week and this year, you're due to the glory of God. To the best of your ability that he may be praised. Don't look inwards. Don't be like that ingrown toenail that becomes painful and stops us walking. Look upwards and focus upon God and give God the glory. Focus on him and live to his glory, his honour and his praise. Amen.